if you read the government's brief in the Hobby Lobby case, the only distinction they make is they say, well, Hobby Lobby is a for-profit corporation. And effectively what they're arguing is, therefore, the only thing they should care about is making profits. Because they are limited liability, and so therefore they shouldn't be concerned about any mor moral implications of what the company does. This is effectively what they're saying. So the government is saying, you shouldn't have any moral concerns about your business because of limited liability. So, you know, when I die, go before my creator, I'll say, well, you know, I had limited liability, so don't, don't you know, hold against me anything that my company did, which is so ludicrous, right? Even, even in the here and now, we want business leaders to be moral and to do moral things with their corporations. And here we have a federal government saying, no, no, just maximize profits. So what is the purpose of business anyway? Is it merely to maximize a profit? Is it to do good? Is it some balance between the two? And what exactly does it look like for a business to do good? And if I happen to be a business owner, a chief executive officer of a corporation who is a person of deep religious faith, either Catholic faith or evangelical Christian faith or Jewish faith or or Islam, am I required to check my faith at the boardroom door and not allow it to have any influence whatsoever on the way that I conduct my business? And if I do that, what are the ramifications of that, both positively and negatively? Should you, as a business owner, be allowed to have your faith, your deeply held religious convictions, influence the way you conduct your business? Well, Dr. Andrew Abella, Dean of the School of Business and Economics and Associate Professor of Marketing at the Catholic University of America, has been dealing with these questions in his uh, classes there uh, at Catholic University for quite some time. He and his colleague, Joseph Capizzi, have just completed and released a brand new book that I think will be helpful to you, A Catechism for Business, Tough Ethical Questions and Insights from Catholic Teaching. The first question on my mind is probably the first question on yours, a paraphrase of Tertullian's question, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? Well, what does Wall Street have to do with Jerusalem? Or to reverse it, what does Jerusalem or Rome have to do with Wall Street? What does our faith have to do with the way we conduct our businesses in the corporate world? Dr. Andrew Abella. I think Rome has some very helpful guidance for, for Wall Street. Uh, when you think about how uh, Wall Street operates, how finance operates, or business in general, so much of it is based on trust and relationship, right? Uh, those are both uh, very heavily moral concepts. Um, and so when you have a moral economy, you have a sound and, and well-functioning economy. Uh, what what the Church's social doctrine is doing is it gives us a set of principles for how to have a, a moral economy. How then would you define a moral economy? Uh, one where the participants are each striving uh, for the good of sort of one another and for the common good, uh, where everybody is out um, to, to serve themselves, but also to serve others. And that definition seems to fly in the face of of a media portrayal of of business. Business seems to uh, to be painted as uh, quite monstrous, uh, greedy, out for itself. So then, how do those who are responsible for business, uh, business owners, CEOs, 
and uh, business leaders then in, ensure that they are working from a base of morality that would then produce a moral economy? Well, I, I think the, the media characterization is, is false or, or at, at most a, a gross exaggeration. Right? The, the media focuses on um, the, the, the more egregious uh, violations of, of, of a kind of moral approach to business, and, and there are many. But there are many, many more uh, people who work, in many cases, selflessly hard, you know, um, to, to build up organizations. Um, and, and, you know, in some cases, this makes them wealthy. In some cases, not so much. But but when you talk to entrepreneurs, you talk to business leaders, you can, I, I certainly get a sense that they're not doing it kind of just for self-aggrandizement or even primarily. They're doing it because this is a sense, they have a sense of vocation, a sense of this is their meaning in life is to create something new, right? And then a new product, new service, um, employment. Uh, and so so that's, I think it's a very false uh, view. It's, it's the media and it's even worse, it's Hollywood, right? Almost every movie that has a CEO in it, the CEO is the bad guy, you know? Um, you don't see very many movies of heroic uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, The Wolf of Wall Street comes to mind. I've not seen that movie, but I've certainly heard uh, not good things about it from a moral perspective. Yeah, I'd be sure to avoid it because it's uh, quite ghastly, I understand. But again, that's that's one one fellow, clearly a very, fairly twisted and, and, and lost person during that time of his life, you know. Um, but you find similarly twisted people in academia, in government, you know, in, in every other profession. You know, there's uh, uh, unreasonable to profile businesses being the... Um, you know, the only place where you find immorality. You you speak of of a sense of vocation. Many business leaders, um, business owners, CEOs would would have a sense of calling in in the vocation where they are. Many of those men and women uh, are also men and women of faith, uh, either the Catholic faith or the Evangelical faith, or maybe even the Muslim faith or the Jewish faith, and yet. Would you agree with me that 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 many business leaders who also have a deep felt faith have a hard time reconciling what they do day to day with their faith? Yes, because um, certainly, if, if I speak for Catholics, um, the church teaching on on how to live as a Catholic in the business world hasn't always been very clearly communicated. You know. Uh, and it's a sort of joke about the church, so-called church's best-kept secret, right? The, the social doctrine, and so so the, our book, the Catechism for Business, is sort of designed to kind of collect uh, church teaching and make it just very easily accessible. Because what what many people have been fed is sort of parodies of of church teaching. You know, um, many people who think that church teaching, social doctrine, is some kind of warmed-over socialism, right? Where when every pope, <laughs> almost without exception, you know, over the last hundred years has condemned socialism, and yet this, this sort of view persists, you know. Uh, people from other religions think, oh, yeah, Catholic teaching about business, isn't that all about kind of government uh, uh, provision, you know, or the welfare state, or that, that sort of thing. Um, so, so I think that if they've had a difficulty, that's, that's um, at least one of the sources of the difficulty is not getting a clear um, clear information of what church teaching is about about business. The other, I think, though, is is a mistake in the academy, particularly in business schools, where we've had this illusion that our business theory, that, that economics, that finance, that marketing, and so on, are all amoral 
sciences, you know, that, that there's no moral content to them. Um, and, and therefore, you know, you just follow the science and, and, and you can make your business, business decisions that way. The problem with that is uh, there's, no, there's no science of human action that, that is amoral because human action is always inherently moral because human beings are moral creatures. And if you try to pretend that the science is amoral, then someone is going to import some morality into it. And sometimes it's, oftentimes it's a twisted morality that says, therefore, you know, um, there's something inherently immoral with, with a corporation or the idea of a corporation, for example. You were there as uh, as dean of the the school of business at uh, the Catholic University. How are you, uh, and by you I mean the department itself, implementing these uh, these strategies, these these ideals uh, of of communicating ethics to to your students? And and is it is it an easy task? Is it a possible task? Or is it is it something really that that uh, is internal to the student. The student needs to come with a with a moral foundation uh, to begin with. Um, I, I guess what I'm asking is, can ethics and morality truly be taught, or does it need to be caught? It um, it the, the it, it it can be done, but but you're you're right in the sense that what they need is help with character formation. Right? It's not enough for them to know. Uh, what is right and what is wrong, although that, that's very helpful, you know, uh, and it's certainly helpful to not do any damage by trying to teach them wacky stuff like, you know, warmed over relativism, which is what oftentimes what they get in their ethics classes, uh, because they're given, you know, several different ethics theories and in effect told, you know, pick whichever one fits your mood, you know, uh, uh, which is a strategy that delivers nothing better than, than a very sophisticated or unsophisticated in some cases rel- uh, relativism. Um, so, so it's not enough just for them to know the difference between right and wrong, what's right, what's wrong, but they also need to 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 grow in the habit of doing it. So the habit of the, the they're supposed to grow in the virtues, right? So that they, they grow in, in courage to stand up for what is right, in, in the dis, the discipline to do what they need to do, and get into these habits uh, while they're in school. So when they leave and they go to start their own businesses or work in businesses, when they face issues, they've already habituated to deal with those issues in, in, in an honest and, and forthright way. So, so let me ask the, the, the firecracker question, uh, that's going to get me in trouble with, uh, the new atheists. Can you be good without God? And by that, I mean, is it possible to have this this uh, this moral center uh, sans some sort of religious context. It's difficult, right? I, I don't think it's impossible because you can have a sort of a virtuous pagan, right? Um, the, 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 so so the um, what what we teach the, the underlying philosophy at, at the School of Business and Economics at Catholic U is the, the Catholic intellectual tradition. A big part of the Catholic intellectual tradition is the natural law, right? Uh, which is which is a philosophical framework, and, and one can subscribe to the natural law um, w- without necessarily believing in God. But it is hard in, in a society that is very sort of hedonist, consumerist that, that, that we live in today. Uh, without the help of grace, it, it's hard to to, to 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 really see the good. Right. So original sin has has given us that sort of weakening of the will, darkening of the intellect and and that darkening is is accentuated today by the by the mass media right the, the world views that are proposed to us 
are ones that are very distorted. Uh, it's difficult to break out for that without supernatural help, I, I think. What, what do you think the end of business in, is, and by that I mean in, in, in a uh, teleos kind of sense, what is the purpose of business? We, we might be under the impression that, that business is simply a way to employ people who can make an income uh, and, and have the life well lived. Is there, is there a greater objective, a greater end that ought to be in the minds of, of business leaders and even the employees of, of various corporations, large and small, to, to, that, that really motivates, uh, informs what they do uh, in, in terms of uh, how they conduct their business? Well, I quote John Paul, too, who said that the purpose of business is not simply to make a profit, but to be a community of persons um, achieving their own needs in the service of society. And so, so there's sort of multiple things in there. But if I had to isolate sort of one end, one purpose of business, I would say the purpose of, of, of a business is to do some good for some defined group of people. You do that well, you are profitable right, and you grow. You do that poorly and you fail. And that's actually, that's, that's Peter Drucker, right? It was basically the, I think he said the purpose of business is to create a customer, to create and serve a customer. Um, and I think that's exactly right. And, and if, you, if you have that in mind, many of the business failures and scandals sort of can, can be avoided. If you instead subscribe to this silly idea that the purpose of business is to maximize profits, then you have one, you do one illegal or shady thing after another because that, that's what you're focusing on, you know. But I don't think that most people think that way. I think most entrepreneurs, business leaders I talk to, don't wake up in the morning saying, I'm going to work today to maximize profits. They say, I'm going to work today to build a great institution, to do, you know, to, to create something, to make something, to deliver something. You know, they, they have some, some vision uh, of some good that they want to bring to bear in, in the world. So does the idea of business then go beyond mere exchange? Exchange obviously is involved uh, at many levels uh, in, in most businesses, but is, it, is there a greater purpose other than I have a need, <clears throat> you have a product to meet that need, uh, I will purchase it from you or in some way make an exchange with you to uh, to get your your product your your services and then the deal is done and and that is the end of business or does it go beyond that? I think it goes beyond that because much of business is not single transaction, right? It's multiple transactions over time, right? I.e., some kind of a relationship, right? And so so we we don't have this is not computers sort of day trading with each other. These are human beings kind of doing things for for each other. Now, there's a, sense, there's a sense of justice, right, community justice, where these exchanges have to be fair, but, uh, so, and maybe because of, but, uh, but not limited by that, um, because of that fairness, um, they, are, they are moral transactions. So this is part of the, of the moral life, right? Um, and then behind every one, or many of those transactions is the creation of some kind of institution, right? We're building firms. And bu building firms is building, building communities. Um, so the people, the employees are in relationship to each other, right? And so, so again, that's also morally loaded. So, so, so when you, I think it, it's very narrow to, as, as a business person to think, well, all I do is transactions, you know? And again, I, I think most people don't think that way. They think about building a great firm. They think about offering great products, you know, um, building customer relationships. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a much more grandiose thing than, than simply saying we, we buy and sell.
We're all familiar with the the media stories of businesses that have uh, experienced scandals and, and not necessarily the business, but the, the people within those businesses and particularly the business leaders, the leaders of those businesses. And so at that level, at the macro level, we would all say certainly ethics and morality play a role. But, but what about uh, as I just put on my uh, shirt and tie in the morning and get ready to go to my office, there is no big scandal. What role does ethics play in what's going to happen to me throughout that day? I may be a CEO. I may be an administrative assistant. Uh, I, I, I may just be a partner in a firm somewhere, but, but I'm a part of this company. I'm a part of this business. It's easy to think on the grand level of, of businesses that, uh, that, that have been ethically problematic, but what are the small things that I'm going to do today as a part of a business where my ethics come into play? That, that, is, that is such a great question because I think for so many people, they, they misunderstand ethics. So they've been taught a view of ethics as simply a sort of list of things you shouldn't do, you know, as, as something that's added to daily life. This is, oh, don't do that, don't do that, or do this. Um, whereas I think the, the, the natural law understanding of ethics is an understanding of virtue, right? which basically says everything we do all day long every day is either strengthening or weakening our character. Right? Every conversation I have, I'm either growing in my ability to, to speak the truth and be charitable, or I'm, I'm declining in that, in that, um, in, in those virtues, in, in charity or, or truth telling. Um, and so all day long every day. Uh, you're either growing in virtue or, or, or growing in vice. Um, the happiest people are the virtuous people, those who, who out of habit, do the, the right things. They, they live joyful lives because uh, that's where human beings are, are made, right? And also that's because those are the kinds of people that people want to be friends with, do business with, invest in, and so on. So all good things come generally to people who are, who are virtuous. And so, so ethics is really about everyday life, everything you, about human action, everything you do, right? Aside from maybe the most trivial things, you know, the, the, un, you know, the things that we wouldn't really count as human acts, such as you know, scratching your head sort of without thinking about it. But every purposeful action is either, is, is, is forming a habit for you. And, and that habit is either a good habit or, or a bad habit. I'm not sure if I was clear enough there. Very clear, very clear. Oh, good. How, how then, for a business owner, someone who, uh, a businessman, businesswoman who has employees, let's talk for a moment about how ethics influences the way they treat their employees. There's been a lot of talk in the news lately, and President Obama has made this a keystone of his second term, minimum wage. And uh, it, it's it's almost as if uh, if you are not in favor of a minimum wage, you are in favor of keeping poor people poor. He was in Ann Arbor, the president was, just uh, last week, which is close to us here in Grand Rapids. And uh, he went to, a, to a, a, a deli, Zingerman's Deli, where the, uh, the least expensive submarine sandwich on, on the menu is $16.50, but he was touting the fair wages that these deli owners pay, that they've opted not to just pay a minimum wage, but to pay, to pay what he called a fair wage. I don't think he ever indicated what that was, but the, the whole minimum wage debate, am I, am I being unfair as a business owner to my employees if I only pay them 
a minimum wage according to the federal government standard and not more than that. Uh, this is, I mean, I, I'm not in favor of a minimum wage. I'm in favor of a maximum wage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, so in the sense that um, you, you as, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you have a sense of you're trying to try to create something. And part of the reason for that creating something is to is to help others, you know, um, pro- provide employment to others. That's part of your part of your vision. Um, if you're thinking about how little can I get away with paying them, that's a sort of narrow-minded, kind of small-thinking kind of person who typically doesn't prosper. Right? Uh, sometimes they do, but but generally no. Uh, um, because who the heck wants to work for something like that? People only go there if they have no other possibilities. And then, so why do you want to get the, only the people who have no other possibilities? Um, so, so the funny thing is the example of, of the deli that you gave. If somebody wants to carve out a niche where they sell $16 sandwiches and people are and they're probably delicious, people are delighted to come there and they've got lots of happy and polite employees because they're paid very well, more power to them. Great. And by the way, he didn't need a minimum wage legislation to mm, do that. Right. right? And so I, I, I love that model. I say go for it. Uh, um, and so, so the, the problem with, with, um, with government trying to say, you know, identifying things that are wrong and then coming up with some sort of legislative solution, particularly particularly minimum wage legislation, it's a very heavy-handed approach. And an economist will tell you there, there are a lot of bad things that come out of it. There's lots of debate. Economists disagree with each other, as they always do, right, about the consequences of increasing the, the minimum wage. Um, it, it, it's a blunt instrument. Uh, far better, right, far better, to have a bunch of virtuous entrepreneurs who are trying, kind of setting out to do, to do good. Now, I mean, the, obviously, the argument then comes back to us: is if we, as business leaders, fail to do this and instead run around trying to pay as little as possible to everybody, then in effect we're inviting government interference, right? And so this is what what bothers me in particular about this amoral business theory that I spoke about before: is it, it then it, it it invites government interference because it says, hey, business has no responsibility; we just have to. You know, cut our costs, uh, maximize value, whatever, maximize profits, and obey the law. And then the government says, all right, so who's going to take care of those who who, who aren't employed fully or who don't make enough money? And, and so they take it on, the government takes it on, on themselves. Whereas if business people said, uh, we take this responsibility seriously, then there's less scope for government. I, one of our uh, board members for the business school said recently, um, in one of our meetings, he said, you know, if we as business leaders had made, made it a priority to find a way to get health insurance for those, you know, X million supposedly who, who didn't have uh, health insurance, then Obamacare would never have happened. Hmm. But we didn't. So we left that sort of wide open for government to step in and say, this is needed, you know. Um, we, we, we need to take that responsibility. And then, and then there's less of a less of a call on government to come in and do things, which I think you and I would agree, they, they almost generally do very badly, right? Yes, uh, the same could be said, and it's out of the context and scope of our conversation, but I think the, thing could be, the same thing could be said for uh, the church and its mission in the world being co-opted by the welfare state. Right, right. Uh, but contrary, again, contrary to, to, to church teaching. I mean, again, Pope after Pope has said that the welfare state is not, um, is not what we're talking about when we're talking about solidarity, you know, because we're also talking about subsidiarity, right? So, so we are supposed to serve each other, but we're, we're not supposed to delegate that to, to the government. Obviously, religious faith, 
for instance, Catholicism or evangelical Christianity. I'm an evangelical Protestant pastor in addition to what I do here at Acton. And I am a person, I'm a man of faith, but that that has that has nothing that's not equivalent to morality per se. However, in, in the case of, say, uh, a, a huge corporation like Hobby Lobby, who uh, their, their owners uh, and founders are people of deep, deep religious faith, uh, how, how do we deal with the reality of their, their role in, as, as a public corporation, and I don't use that in the tax sense, but in the sense of they're, being, they're providing a service to the general public and now uh, under the Affordable Care Act being forced to go against their religious conscience on the question of abortifacients and, and other uh, abortion uh, provisions of the Affordable Care Act, can we can we say that that is a legitimate gov- government in, intrusion on the, the, the right to, to, uh, to, to free speech, the right to uh, the, the, the practice of, of their religion when Hobby Lobby serves so many people that may not share the faith of its owner's founders? He, I think it's a gross, gross violation of, of religious freedom. Right. So, so we say, well, Hobby Lobby serves many people who may not share the religious faith of their founders, right? Um, those people have a choice to go shop somewhere else if this really bothers them. You know, the employees, presumably, if they really hated working there, they could go somewhere else. Now, I'm not, I'm not quick to say that because some, I recognize that sometimes somebody is in employment and it's not that easy to up and go do something else, particularly in a tough economic climate like ours. But it seems to me that Hobby Lobby's employees right now seem to be quite happy with the arrangement that they have, right? And along comes the federal government and imposes, tries to impose this new regime, where, by the way, I don't have an option, you know, other than getting up and maybe moving to Canada or Mexico, right? Uh, um, and so, so what they're saying is, oh, somehow, b- because a corporation chooses to do business with the public, then somehow that the, the, the owners of that corporation have to surrender all their religious values. Uh, you know, uh, my church, your church, you welcome anybody, presumably, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so therefore you do business with the general public. Anybody can walk into your church and come and pray, right, and, and worship with you. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that you have to now change your practices because you're open to the public? Mm-hmm. Of course not, right? And in fact, if you read the government's brief in the Hobby Lobby case, the only distinction they make is they say, well, Hobby Lobby is a for-profit corporation, and effectively what they're arguing is, therefore, the only thing they should care about is making profits because they are limited liability and so therefore they shouldn't be concerned about any mor- moral implications of what the company does. This is effectively what they're saying. So the government is saying, you shouldn't have any moral concerns about your business because of limited liability. So, you know, when I die, go before my creator, I'll say, well, you know, I had limited liability, so don't, don't <laughs> hold against me anything that my company did, which is so ludicrous, right? Even, even in the here and now, we want, as, you know, as we've been saying for the last 20 minutes, we want business leaders to, to be moral and to do moral things with their corporations. And here we have a federal government saying, no, no, just maximize profits. And, and the same could be said for the owners of, of Chick-fil-A. I, I watched the whole Hobby Lobby 
thing unfold and and wonder when is the federal government going to come to Chick-fil-A and say, well, uh, because of your religious views, you have decided that you will not be open on the Sabbath because that's a violation of your conscience to be open on the Sabbath, and yet you are a for-profit corporation and you need to serve those who don't share your view of of a Sabbath observance. It, it would seem to me that if the Hobby Lobby case is lost to the federal government, uh, the sky's the limit to where the government and Kathleen Sebelius et al. can come along and say, no, you you, uh, you must do as the government says and not what your conscience says. I, I, I agree with you. The, the difficulty, right, when we allow people to view that, to hold the view that um, business is somehow immoral or, or nasty or, or whatever, then they assume that government needs to control every aspect of business, including what healthcare they offer, what days they're open, who they serve, how they serve. And, and in effect, what you get is the de facto nationalization of all of industry, right? Because the government may not own you, but they tell you everything that you're allowed to do or not allowed to do. I mean, the amount of regulation is already unbelievably overwhelming, right? Uh, just uh, everywhere you turn, there's some new rules, some new regulation. Um, that, that what we have is this creeping or almost galloping uh, totalitarianism. It's not good for the economy. It's not good for freedom. It's not good for the country. Just all our bad news. And so that's what we're trying to trying to show at, at our school is, is help people realize kind of what's the better way of, of proceeding. Andrew Abella is the dean of the School of Business and Economics uh, and associate professor of marketing at the Catholic University of America in Washington D.C. Co-author of this new book, A Catechism for Business, Tough Ethical Questions and Insights from Catholic Teaching. And we here at Acton commend the book to you. And Dr. Abella, it has just been an honor for us to be able to share this conversation with you and with our audience here on Radio Free Acton. My great pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.